This is Against All Enemies, a show about threats to American democracy. Political violence is on the rise. An alarming percentage of Americans believe they may have to take up arms against their neighbors. Some are already doing so. Against All Enemies highlights the activities of extremist organizations and their enablers. Our goal is to educate, not to alarm. The threats are real. But if we know what we are up against, together we can beat them. It's Ken Harbaugh with Against All Enemies on the Midas Touch Network. I'm a veteran. I did nine years in the Navy as a pilot, and I am proud of my time in uniform. I joined to serve my country because, for all her faults, I believed America was worth fighting for, and still is. But one of the most heartbreaking aspects of Donald Trump's assault on our democracy and the complicity of the Republican Party he now dominates is how some of my fellow veterans have been fooled by the lies and the provocations from people who know better, like Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance. The endless propaganda from Fox News and elsewhere has convinced far too many that attacking our democracy is somehow defending it. A disproportionate number of the January 6th insurrectionists were veterans, and a new report from the University of Maryland's National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism contained this frightening, and for me, heartbreaking conclusion. Being affiliated with the U.S. military is the single strongest predictor of violent extremism in America. I can't think of anyone better to talk to about this than Mike Breen, an Army combat vet and frequent guest on this show. He's now the CEO of Human Rights First, which led a group of 35 organizations and experts in sending a letter to the Department of Defense demanding transparency on how it is addressing the issue of extremists in the ranks. This isn't all doom and gloom. Mike has some concrete ideas for how to address the problem. And we both reiterate that the vast majority of those who have served and those who are still serving are faithful to the Constitution. Here's my conversation with Mike. Mike Breen, welcome back to Against All Enemies. You're the CEO of Human Rights First, and you led this incredible coalition that sent a letter to DOD asking what the status of their reforms uh, on extremists in the military is. Any response from them? Not yet, Ken. It's always good to see you. Um, yeah. You know, as you say, Tell us we, about the letter. We, we put together a coalition of the veterans groups, civil rights groups, extremism experts, just to call on DOD to give us an update on, on their work on extremism. Um, and it's gotten significant attention, I think, in large part because we've got 35 of the nation's top civil rights groups as part of the letter, but veterans organizations, you know, top experts like, you know, Kathleen Bellow, you know, well, uh, have joined it. So, you know, we're hopeful that we'll hear something back. Uh, we'll see. They're, you know, DOD is operating in a tough environment on this, and they haven't taken, you know, the, they have, I should say, they have taken some really important steps, but there's a lot of work to do. And, um, you know, we can't afford to, to lose a, a generation of veterans and military people to extremism. So, uh, so we've got to take stronger action here. Why is there such apparent, maybe I'm misperceiving this, but such apparent secrecy around their report findings? I mean, it's a loaded question because I, I suspect political pressure has something to do with it, but, but what's your take? Well, I'm reading behind the, or between the lines here a little bit too. Um, but I mean, look, in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, DOD took a series of steps to address extremism in the ranks. They did a lot of really, really good things really quickly. 
Um, Secretary Austin ordered a stand down to address extremism. He created a working group uh, to, to look at countering extremist activity inside the military. Uh, a year later, the, the working group put out a great series of recommendations. Um, during this time, you know, full disclosure, Bishop Garrison, who's a, a former human rights first uh, employee and member of our team, you know, he was the senior advisor of the Secretary of Defense for, for Human Capital and, and, and Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. He led the department's work on extremism. So there was a lot of excellent work that happened. But since then, there have been uh, very few updates. And as you say, uh, that work was met with a, a tremendous amount of political pushback from the far right. Um, you know, we heard this is this coincides directly with accusations of woke generals and military readiness being sacrificed at the altar of diversity and free speech being uh, attacked in the ranks. And, you know, we heard all kinds of things. Uh, Bishop was was personally attacked pretty viciously himself. Um, so this became a major political issue for the Department of Defense. And, you know, as you and I both know, there's nothing more important in the military than trying to remain apolitical and, and trying to stay out of that political arena and, and really be the force that, that protects and serves and defends every American, regardless of politics, and stays out of that game. Um, harder to do these days than it's ever been in a lot of ways, or at least recently. But, uh, you know, reading between the lines, this has all gone very quiet. And, you know, we're hoping... Uh, that we can get some kind of an update on what the department's up to because uh, quiet cannot mean inactive. You know, just because it's gone under the radar, uh, it, it can't have stopped moving. And we're a little concerned that we've, we've lost steam on a really important process here. Well, my fear is that the pushback that DOD was experiencing from extremists, and you alluded to some of that in the treatment that uh, Bishop Garrison received, is 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 winning. I mean, Bishop Garrison's position advising the Secretary of Defense on extremism in the ranks, correct me if I'm wrong, but that no longer exists. They have buckled in some areas to the loudest voices decrying so-called wokeism in the military. Yeah, it's possible that that's happened to some extent. There's no doubt that it's happened. And, you know, that's despite, I think it's fair to say, an administration that fully understands how dangerous this threat is. Uh, that's put some really excellent people at the White House and in DHS and in other places uh, in, in really important impact positions on this exact issue. Uh, you know, you know that the Secretary of Defense takes it seriously based on his early actions. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to say that the political pushback hasn't had an impact and we don't have a lot of time to deal with this. I mean, you know, we almost lost the seat of our democracy to, you know, a, a an attack that was in a lot of ways, you know, planned and, and wouldn't have been anywhere. I don't think it's, I think it's fair to say would not have been anywhere near as dangerous without the participation of veterans at every level. Um, and that hasn't changed. So, you know, this is a threat to the Republic and politics be damned. We got to deal with it. Does the successful prosecution and subsequent jailing of a number of those insurrectionists, some prominent veterans among them, like Stuart Rhodes, does that, give you reassurance that this this threat is is fading? Uh, I feel like a lot of Americans look at that and say, all right, the DOJ is doing its job. We can uh, <laughs> we can worry about something else. Well, unfortunately, no. I mean, it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Right. Justice matters. Accountability matters all the way to the top. But you know, as you and I have talked about before, m my biggest concern here is that, you know, much like with the insurgency in Iraq, which, you know, I experienced the early days of that insurgency. And I remember what we saw in the early 
months and years of that insurgency. And it was half-baked plans by foot soldiers who had been pushed out there to test us by people we didn't even know existed at the time. Um, I look at January 6th and I see, you know, at the same time, I see something very dangerous and also something that um, was, was almost certainly organized and catalyzed and created by people who are not facing consequences or who've done a really good job isolating themselves from consequences. So you got to look for the men behind the curtain. You got to look for that tactically patient individual or group of individuals who's pushing the Stuart Rhodeses out there to see what happens, but, but they're not going to show up with a, you know, pair of horns on their own head and go through the window. Right. Um, they're too sophisticated for that. They're too patient for that. They've got a long-term plan. So I, I don't see any evidence that that's gone away and it, it really worries me. Well, we had Ruth Ben Giat on recently who mentioned, and, um, I'm going to dive into the research on this, but, but I believe her cause I know her and trust her that, membership in the Proud Boys is actually growing, uh, if anything. The number of overall terrorist groups or domestic violent extremist groups might be shrinking, but that's because they're consolidating. When, when you talk about tactically patient people leading those groups, what does it mean when some of those tactically patient people are actually in, in positions of, of power and enormous influence? The Mike Flynn's of the world, not to mention some of the members of Congress who obviously weren't charging the barricades themselves. They were fist pumping from a safe distance. Yeah. I mean, Josh Hawley's, he's a lot of things. He's not stupid. Um, you know, and he's clearly picked a side for the, for the sake of, of increasing his political power. Um, and a lot of guys, JD Vance, a lot of other people that, that have made that who I know for a fact, know better, right. Who have made this deal. Um, and they're playing an angle and they're betting on a movement. Um, it is pretty classic for extremist movements around the world to essentially try to capture a political party. And it's pretty classic for politicians who have, you know, no conscience to try to ride that wave. We see this all over the world. Uh, it's a very dangerous game to play. Uh, you know, the monster you make a, a deal with can end up eating you. You know, it's the oldest fairy tale in the world, right? But you know, smart guys without backbones are making that deal left, right and center. And we see that happening and it can be extremely dangerous. Um, you know, it, it lends legitimacy to a call to do something like storm the Capitol. It can put a lot of smoke in the air politically that makes it hard for organizations like the military, as we're talking about today, to do anything about it. Um, and it, it also ensures that the movement gets stronger even when it loses. And this is the really hard part. You mentioned the Proud Boys recruiting going up. I hadn't seen that information, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, they may not have you know, done everything they wanted to do on Gen 6. Some of their people may be facing consequences for that. But what they really did, you know, it's look what, we, look what we can do. We're relevant. We're powerful. We just did this. Look, look what we can do next. You know, people are scared of us. They're worried about us. DOJ is going after us. They're, I think January 6th, unfortunately, I hate to say it, was a huge win for the extremist organizations involved. We're relevant, we're powerful, and in the case of the Proud Boys and a couple others, we're on the tip of the former president's tongue, and he could well be the next commander-in-chief. Exactly. Right. Pardons could be around the corner for all these guys. Right. So, I mean, we've seen this movie before. Yeah. Um, Europeans have certainly seen this movie before. 
it's, you know, we're, we're in a very dangerous position. I, I am, I would, I'm more worried now than I was uh, maybe four or five years ago. Um, and I, you know, I know, I know a lot of people who look at this are too, and, and I know you're one of them, Ken, but um, we are nowhere close to out of the woods. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a quick break here, but I need a favor first. Shows like this depend on your support. Please, if you can spare five seconds, click the link to the podcast version of the show below and leave us a five-star review. It really does help. Thanks. I wanted to ask you about the potential for pardons. What kind of signal would that send? I think it's hard to underestimate the damage that would do, but it's not just about releasing a couple of crazies back onto the streets. It would be so much bigger than that. It would be, you talk about existential threats to democracy. People use loose language a lot, but essentially saying, hey, you can come be my unsanctioned thugs and engage in violence against law enforcement and smash your way into the Capitol to try to halt the democratic process and I'll pardon you. I mean, that's, we are into, you know, brown shirt, true brown shirt territory at that point. Um, You're talking about impunity for violence directed at the democracy, impunity for tearing down the halls of democracy, impunity for beating cops with flagpoles and, you know, trying to kill them. Um, At that point, it's, it's hard to say, I mean, that it's easy to, to say a lot of things after you get to that point, but I, I, you know, and I don't want to. I don't want to go too far off the rails, but let me just, that, that would be a, a huge, huge Rubicon that we have not yet crossed. You and I are both vets. I wore the Navy shirt on, on purpose for this interview, but why is it that veterans in particular are so intentionally targeted for, for recruitment and for leadership positions when these or within these organizations? And it's not just the obvious training and expertise part. There, there's more. To Absolutely. It. Yeah. And I'll, I'll leave the army Navy rivalry out of this, Ken, although I should have worn my own <laughs> gear, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's for the training. It's for the leadership capability, but I think that's the least of it. Uh, I think it's two things. It's, it's the credibility that veterans bring. Um, it's the fact that that our service is so often viewed by our neighbors as synonymous with that flag that's behind you and what it means to be patriotic. And I don't think this is a good thing, but when a veteran stands up and says, this is American or this is not, whether it should or it shouldn't, and it, in a lot of ways it probably shouldn't, but it does carry weight for a lot of people. It legitimizes a movement. You know, you get a bunch of people say they're fighting for their country by attacking it, which is what the Jan Sixers will too often say. And then they say, I wore the uniform and I served. That's something. The other major thing is commitment. And we've seen over and over again that, you know, there's research that shows veterans are a little harder to recruit into these movements. But when they are recruited, they they bring the movement's capacity for violence up a lot when they join. And look, I mean, I was an army officer, right? I, I One of the things that that meant to me in Iraq and Afghanistan was that I was prepared to do just about anything to protect my, my society as I saw it and my values up to and including violence. Violence was my job. Organized violence on behalf of my society was my job, right? At an intimate level. Um, that is part of who veterans are. And that changes the way a movement operates. Uh, if, if it's inclined toward violence anyway, you're recruiting people who have a demonstrated commitment and capacity to use violence 
for politics, you know, and that's it's an uncomfortable thing to say about vets, but it's true. War is the continuation of politics by other means, and war is the business of the military. That's the business we were all at one point in our lives in. So it doesn't surprise me that extremist groups will look to people who have that demonstrated capacity, especially after 20 years of war, especially when so many of us took that beyond theory at Fort Bragg or whatever and put it into practice for years of our lives. Um, and you have veterans coming home who are both have a lot of that combat experience and it kind of cross that psychological barrier to go into combat. And we have to face it. Uh, you know, most of them are pretty disillusioned about how the whole thing turned out in Iraq and in Afghanistan. Um, you know, these are not pleasant memories for the nation and certainly not for the veterans involved. So you, you've got some people who are deeply patriotic, but pretty disillusioned in a lot of cases, very understandably in a lot of cases, and, and have already decided, decided a long time ago that if it came down to it, they'd, they'd pick up a weapon and fight for what they believe in. To be clear, we're talking about a a small minority of veterans, but it doesn't take many. And that's what we're worried about. We're both worried on behalf of the country and worried about our, our brothers and sisters in arms who are being drawn in into these awful organizations. There was this really frightening conclusion in a recent report by uh, START, the University of Maryland's study of terrorism and responses to terrorism. And I believe they may have joined your organization, Human Rights First, in the letter. In any case, I know you work very closely with them. And they concluded <clears throat> that uh, being affiliated with the U.S. military is the single strongest predictor of violent extremism in America. That really shocked me. Shocks me too. And it, you know, to be honest, it hurts, right? Um, you know, I, I love the people I serve with. And to be clear, this is not about who they vote for or what they believe or what they want to say. Um, you know, we disagreed before we went in and while we were in and when, after we got out on all kinds of things, including politics. And that's totally okay. In fact, it's great. This is about getting to the point where you feel like you're going to pick up a weapon and you're going to maybe use it against somebody else who swore the same oath you did and is still wearing the cloth. A law enforcement, you know, officer, a, a member of the National Guard, right? member of the Capitol Police, and you're going to do it so nobody gets to vote again, whatever story you're telling yourself. And the real tragedy to that is I think, you know, I, I can't get inside the head of somebody who makes that decision. I'm sure there's a lot of racism involved in bigotry in a lot of cases. I'm sure a lot of these guys know exactly what they're doing. But I'm also sure that, that a lot of them, you know, bought a story that they were deliberately sold and really you know, do what they do, believing that they're trying to save the country. And that to me is just so perverse and so sad. What are the top recommendations you would like to see implemented coming out of DOD? Well, I think, you know, essentially we're looking first and foremost for a report on how things are going. Um, you know, what are they up to? Uh, that transparency is pretty important. Um, you know, they're doing some things that look like they might be okay. There, there are some necessary changes to the insider threat processes that need to be done. DOD announced over the summer that there is a new insider threat office, but they haven't explicitly said how that's going to interface with extremism. Um, shortly after that, the IG put out a report that documented an effective screening for, for extremists and criminal gang behavior. So, you know, in, the, in their own words, that increases the potential for future security risks and, and, and disruptions to good order, morale and discipline. The question is what's going to happen about that. Um, 
they're implementing relevant training, they say, but it's unclear how. So I think step one is really transparency from the department about what they are doing. And again, I understand the reluctance to try to make this a public issue again, given the, the political chop that they experience when they do. But it is really important uh, that the country understands what the Department of Defense is doing to ensure uh, that they're safeguarding our democracy in this way, as they do in every other way. Well, keep holding their feet to the fire. Good job writing the letter. If you need a signature on the next one, I'm here for you. Uh, good talking to you as always, Mike. Always good, Ken. Thank you.